Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bat-Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series show. We talk about Batman the Animated Series. My name is Clay, and with me as always is... Sean Murphy, I am your Huckleberry. (laughs) You're no Daisy at all, Sean. (laughs) And uh, this is the final episode of our first season. And if you're listening to this, that means that we've finished and we've edited and we've released all of the episodes at once, uh, trying that out as an experiment, see how it works. And what we're going to do is, once these are out, we're going to give a little time, and mm-hmm. then we're going to do uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm for our next show. And uh, in that time, uh, if you have any questions or comments or feedback that you want us to address on the show, you can send those to bataspodcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-T-T-A-S-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, right? Yeah. <laughs> Probably. At, gmail, at gmail.com. <laughs> Um, and there's a Twitter as well, which I can't remember, but I think it's the same thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll find it by the end of the show. We are extremely and, uh, you know, organized here. Yes. Oh, definitely. Tight <laughs> ship I run over here. Um, and we'll address that stuff in the Mask of the Phantasm episode. So if you want to uh, send us any feedback or questions, feel free to do that. We'd love to hear from you. And if you hate the show, please tell us. Um, and we'll change it if we decide to do more. If you don't if you, want us to do more, that's it, fine too. Tell us who you blame more and make sure it's Clay. <laughs> well, you know, I'm running the tight ship here. I can only assume you're the one throwing the wrench into things. That's so. true. <laughs> I'll get my minions to, to start giving you shit. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, for, for this episode, we'll be covering Mad as a Hatter and Dreams and Darkness. And we're going to start off with Mad as a Hatter. Mad as a Hatter was written by Paul Dini, directed by Frank Power, and in it, miserable Wayne industry scientist Jervis, Jervis Tetch, that's a hard one to say. Yeah, Jerkface, McFetch, whatever. Uh, is unable to pursue the girl he loves, Alice the Secretary. When she splits up from her boyfriend, he makes an advance and develops a fast friendship with her until her boyfriend reconciles with her and proposes to her. This is not a very well-written sentence. <laughs> Enraged, Tetch decides to take on, take matters into his own hands and dons the mantle of the Mad Hatter, using his mind-controlled devices to force those who have wronged him all of his life to become his mindless slaves. Now, Sean, are you feature, uh, not to give, I don't think this is giving too much away about the book you're working on, but it features the Mad Hatter fairly pre- uh, uh, predominantly. Yeah. Or, um, is he has he always been a has he been a favorite of yours or is it just something that you a character you came to as you were writing? Well, you know, I kind of fell back into it, uh, fell ass backwards into it, and it worked out really well. So um, I kind of create a new supervillain, and um, she uh, ends up utilizing um, some of Hatter Hatter tech. That's what I just call it. I don't know if that's in the comic too, um, and. Uh, because she needed his tech, she sort of left him. Um, she sort of embraced uh, him as a as a sidekick, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas all the other villains are busy doing other things, and it wasn't something I planned, but it it was nice to have a sounding board. You know, a, a single supervillain is kind of boring because what are they going to do? Just talk to themselves. But I liked uh, the Hatter as a as a, a, a side character. I think he actually works really well as a side character. Especially mm-hmm. because the my new villain is is a lady, and I think um, 
there's a part of him that you know this is an older hatter who never got Alice and there's an aspect of he's got, he's got a soft spot for, for, for ladies and it's not a romantic thing it's more like he's like a father figure in a way teaching her about how to be a super criminal um, and I ended up just I don't know getting lucky and um, my editor really loves it and it's just a bizarre pairing that I didn't plan but it just ended up working out um, I have him more as a um, hacker more of a, mm-hmm. a computer hacker than a mind control guy I mean it's probably been done before but you know obviously mind control is kind of like brain hacking so mm-hmm. he's got all this like antique equipment and all these super old collection of computers and stuff but uh yeah it works out really well and uh anyway but i remember this episode i it's not one that i would think i would like but i think i do really like it there's something about him is uh as a non-threatening he doesn't mean to be a supervillain. he's just a little misguided and you know i, I kind of like that uh that that aspect of him how do you yeah, feel about he, yeah he's um you know he's another uh paul paul dini revamp um who I wonder I wonder what Paul Dini's personal life was at the time because both of his big revamps the uh, <laughs> Mr. Freeze and Mad Hatter all have their backstories you know revolving around a singular woman right um, and this one you know he I, I believe the 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 aspect of Alice being a uh, um, focal point in in the creation of the Mad Hatter I think is 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 a new addition uh, by Dini I think traditionally uh he was just more of a uh um you know he was just a zany guy who liked alice in wonderland like there was no specific alice in the story and i think that really adds uh, he goes from adding adding alice in he goes from a zany gimmick villain into someone with a purpose and he's actually kind of you know you you called him non-threatening but i don't know if it's just um being more aware aware of this uh, uh, personality type in in the the era that we live in, but he's basically like a uh, you know the quote unquote nice guy who mm-hmm. is never uh, always complaining about why women don't like him. Oh, he's totally he's, a lot of like a lot of comic book readers. I think. <laughs> Sorry, well, not let's not, to let's, not go, on it. <laughs> let's not go. Let's not go alienate our audience here. But oh, you fucking losers who can't get girls. <laughs> Do not edit that out. <laughs> they need to hear it and continue. Well, I mean, we did learn last episode that you are not an asshole. So, um, but yeah, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting personality type to to kind of weaponize in a way that that hadn't it, that sort of thing is I think a, a more um, contemporary character to do that to. Like it, basically, the villain from the new Ghostbusters movie is kind of that way. He's Sort of a basically a, a a men's rights activist who's kind of a, who's just a, an asshole and and mm-hmm. that's his whole you know uh, motivation for stuff um, and it got me thinking about Batman villains in general and uh, I feel like the the interesting thing about Batman villains is that um, you can distill a lot of them down to one defining drive or motivator. Mm-hmm. So you've got like the Joker is motivated by is his thing is anarchy. Clayface right. is vanity. Two Face is justice. Really, mm-hmm. uh, Freeze is love. The Riddler is cleverness. They're all these like central things that that are are the driving force behind everything that these these villains do and what makes them um, 
when when they when they follow that track, it is uh, it feels a lot more uh, true to their character. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, so the Mad Hatter would probably would be either he's jealous, or I would probably he's either jealous or selfish. I can't decide which one. There might be a better word for it, but it's it's in that th- milieu or that that vein where he's, um, right. you know, he he's not getting what he wants, so he he basically pitches a fit, and in this case, his fit is just weird and and Lewis Carroll themed, right? Um, and I think the one thing that I've noticed with these episodes across this season as is. When you have your villains in a story that is not in line with that motivating factor, it feels like it doesn't land correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of, you know, I, I, we've covered too many, I can't think of any specifically, but there are some where, you know, you've got the Joker and he's doing something, but it doesn't quite feel right. Or it, you, we've got the Penguin and he's doing something, it doesn't quite feel right. And I think mm-hmm. it's because they get off the track of what those def- those singular motivating factors are for the villains. And I mean, it makes sense because Batman is similar as well because his motivating factor is justice, more or less. Right. Or, you know, uh, um, I guess revenge. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just sort of uh, doing some research while you're talking about um, Lewis Carroll. Because I remember there was a... There's a very like nice uh, to see. Nice to hear you were listening to me as I was <laughs> no, talking. No, something you said made me realize that uh, I should have done more research on this before we started recording. Um, <laughs> you realize this is the last episode of our season, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know, but the Mad Hatter will be back, and when we do another season, we can talk about it, uh, the Lewis Carroll thing even more. <laughs> sorry, Wait, we... so you're not even going to bring up what you just looked up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I am. I am. Okay, I'm, just, I'm defending myself first. <laughs> Um, the thing that I really loved about this was how meta it is, or how referential it is to Lewis Carroll himself, whose name mm-hmm. is Charles Dodson. And again, uh, I, I'm just briefly reminding myself of the things that I used to know, but there's a lot of rumors about him being in love with the seven-year-old named Alice Liddell. Um, and he even chose the name Lewis Carroll because uh, it mirrors her name. So her name is... A L I C E, and he chose L E W I S, which flips, which switches the consonants and the vowels. And then Carol is the same number of letters as Liddell. And there's a lot of like math and word games going on. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, to have the character in the Batman universe be obsessed with a girl named Alice is very referential to the creator of the Mad Hatter, which I thought was really in- interesting. Yeah, it's. Um... He he is he is sort of a uh, uh, he is a very specific um, villain in terms of the stuff that they they draw from like it, they the uh, Alice in Wonderland has such uh, great imagery that it's almost it almost seems perfectly fit for a comic book. Yeah, totally. It's surprising that he had to be revamped at all. Um, I'm I used to know the answer to this, but I'm trying to think of who owned. The Mad Hatter, if it was the Lewis Carroll uh, household, or if it's um, re- relapsed because it's so long ago. I think a hundred and something years have passed, so now they can use it again. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was public. If I had to guess, I'd say it was public domain. Uh, according to Wikipedia, it says it was created by Bill Finger. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. He didn't get a lawyer, and he deserves to get fucked over. <laughs> and someone named Lou Sayer Schwartz. So um, it said his first appearance was in 1948 in Batman 40, number 49. Yeah. And they called him the Manhatter or the Hatter? 
Uh, yep, Mad Hatter. Mad Hatter, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, that may be a good lawyer question, how they were able to get away with that. I, well, I mean, I, I, assuming it was... Just PD, I, public domain? Yeah. It, yeah. I, would, I would have to only... I could only assume, because, I mean, I feel like that's pretty... <laughs> there that's, might have, that's... Well, they might have stopped using him for a while because they were uncertain. <clears throat> oh, that's possible. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I looked this all up once because I'm obsessed with IP and ownership and copyright, and I, I had the answer, but for some reason I can't remember it right now. But again, when when we come back for season two, assuming you don't fire me, <laughs> we'll all have more prepared for Lewis Carroll. <laughs> you know Scott Snyder, right? Uh, I do. Is, yeah, he, I do. Uh, is no. he on a podcast currently? No, I'm going to no. billfinger him. <laughs> <laughs> that did not come out right, actually. No. Sean Murphy, not an asshole. It's not like he's uh, underage. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, so what did you think of this this uh, this episode overall? Um, I'm a sucker for Bruce Wayne doing Bruce Wayne things when, mm-hmm. they, when he gets a chance. So I like that. Um, I love the Lewis Carroll stuff. I, good excuse to get them into this like carnival so Mad Hatter can really be Mad Hatter. And I love the uh, voice actor they got for the, the, the for Alice. I forget her name. That is, uh, I don't remember the name of the actor, but she was, she was Lucy from Twin Peaks. Right. I don't know if you're familiar with Twin Peaks. Yeah. Was she in Police Academy as well? <laughs> I am not sure, actually. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I like this one. Um, probably not my favorite, but uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot there's a lot here, for sure, which I love. Are you a Hatter fan at all? You know, I... <sighs> you might have said so when I was ignoring you, so now I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I am. I think he's tough. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I was just... I was glancing at his, his origin and his... Uh, uh, you know whatnot the different versions of him on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. and it seems like depending on the year and the writer, he has a pretty big swing from um, kind of innocent uh, gimmicky villain mm-hmm. who just happens to like Alice in Wonderland to implied pedophile, um, yep. and so he's I guess he's a tough one because. You, you, he can really you, go either way. <laughs> yeah, you kind of have to make a tonal decision. Yeah. Um, when you're when you're dealing with him, and I think they make the right call here. I I don't know. It's tough because like part of me thinks that he's a little bit too goofy. Um, like his immediate mm-hmm. his immediate uh, uh, immersion into the Alice in Wonderland thing is not as. Um, strongly motivated you could say as a lot of the other villains like mm-hmm. uh you know two-face his his whole look is pretty clearly defined and understandable joker mr freeze even clock king yeah but this guy's just sort of like a giant nerd <laughs> yeah yeah they didn't uh yeah if you could redo this you might make him like a cosplayer or a theater major or something like that yeah, there's, I mean, if you have time, you know, they only get 20 minutes, so you can only do so much. But uh, I think, yeah. yeah, there's probably more there that you could play with. And But, yeah, I think tonally you have to make a decision whether or not you're going to play him yeah. fair, fairly light, which is, right. you know, or or very dark. And I think they do pick a nice down the middle where he's he's kind of light on the surface, but he is fairly creepy and kind of scary because he's mind controlling people and it's, he's being very obsessive about this woman. And it's, it's not, um, it's not really innocent what he's doing, even Mm -hmm. though he kind of thinks it is. And that's, that's 
I think that's where the scary part comes in. Yeah, yeah, because there's parts where he shows morality, like he doesn't want to just mind control Alice, because that's... But then he does. But then he does, yeah, then he hits a wall, runs out of solutions, or he tells his boss to, you know, shut up or whatever. Um, Yeah, I don't know, It's he makes for a really good origin story. Mm -hmm. You could tell his origin a dozen different ways, and I think they would all be awesome. But how do you reuse him? How do you make him a threat? I'm trying to think of um, the long Halloween how he was used and I, I can't remember oh i can't remember either yeah those guys are most of those characters are used pretty well but i remember they're used pretty sparingly i think they only show up for for a, a few issues or, or one at a time or something like that yeah um but yeah you know it's it's the kind of thing where i i th- it depends on what his focus is because you know as i was saying I, if you break them down to their singular drive mm-hmm. if mad hatter is about selfishness or um or jealousy you can really go anywhere with that like you can it doesn't have to always be about alice mm-hmm. um you could filter any sort of uh bitterness or envy through that mad hatter thing and it probably would still it would probably still work to an extent right um whereas someone like mr freeze is motivated purely by his love for his wife mm-hmm. so when you have an episode with Mr. Freeze or a story with Mr. Freeze where he's just doing bad things because he's a bad guy, yeah. it feels kind of um, yeah. Yeah, out of line with the character. Yeah, it's it's best when it's romantic. I mean, that both of these characters are driven by love in very different ways. Um, and if you take away Alice or Nora, it falls it falls apart really fast. Mm-hmm. I guess you redefine them somehow. Yeah, I guess I don't know. Maybe maybe obsession is the better way to describe. Mad right. Hatter, because he's more—he's more of an obsessive than than uh, than yeah. he is. You know, it's not just jealousy; it's not just selfishness. It's very—it's an obsessive uh, want, right? Which is sending him forward. He yeah, also a, has this desire to of comfort to you know um, really um, surround himself with Alice in Wonderland type bullshit. Like you imagine, his apartment is really weird. The car he drives is really weird. Like he almost doesn't want to join the real world. He's a fantasist. Yeah. Through and through. So even if you take away, let's say he conquers the Alice thing one way or another, like there's still an argument to be made that he's just this weird isolationist. And if you disrupt that, you know, if his world starts to blend with the real world in a destructive way, that's when he becomes a villain. You know. Yeah. Yeah. The, um. There. You said there's an, an aspect of comfort uh, to his thing, and I think that is that is very can be very creepy and scary. It, the first thing I thought of was, um, do you remember, you remember in drive where, mm-hmm. um, Albert Brooks kills Brian Cranston by mm-hmm. slicing his, his arm and mm-hmm. he does it like super fast. And then after that, he's just like, it's done. It's over. Just, you know, let it happen. He's like very calm about it and very mm-hmm. comforting while he's just murdered this guy. Right. That's the, that's the kind of thing I imagine Mad Hatter doing where he's, he's gonna, he's gonna kill you. He's gonna do something horrible to you, but his demeanor yeah. is going to be light and very comforting as it happens. Yeah, it's not what he does, it's how he does it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And with him, he does it with giant playing cards and, and, and people <laughs> in walrus suits. Yeah. It's always funny to me, that I'm watching the cartoon in the background right now, that the way that they animate things, if it's if it's cel-shaded, you know it's going to move. So remember like the old Acme cartoons when the coyote is standing on a rock you know that rock is going to tumble underneath him because it's not a yes. painted rock. It's a cell 
animated rock. Yeah. <laughs> and the same thing here is Batman's walking around all these these all these frozen statues, but there's two who are clearly animated differently. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a matter of time before they grab him. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like in this I like in this episode that uh, um, you know I've complained a bunch of times that no matter how interesting the origin or character, they always end up having henchmen for no reason. Um, uh-huh. The henchman actually makes sense in this episode yeah. because he's using them, he's mind controlling them and using them as uh, mm-hmm. basically um, uh, other characters from from yeah. Alice in Wonderland and using them as like a buffer to stop Batman. Yeah. So it actually it's the most believable use of henchmen, I think. It is. In, yeah, his henchmen are anyone he has around him. I mean, Batman could be punching an old lady in the face if she yeah. gets taken. I mean, there's a scene. <laughs> or it could be. Or it could be two, you know, two thugs in the park who just happen to be wearing headbands that you can easily slip cards into. Like I know. Guys in this episode. In the '80s, it was really hard to track the Mad Hatter's device because everyone was wearing sweat sweatbands. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> Batman tackles a breakdancer, and he turns out that it's not actually someone being mind controlled. <laughs> um. Do you have a uh, uh, a sequence in this that you would prefer to draw or interpret? Um. You know, I. I hate kooky stuff. Uh, like I appreciate it, but if you wrote a scene where he had to be in his element with all these weird things, like I actually don't like drawing that stuff at all. I know that uh-huh. it's important for a comic, but I would fucking hate that. So I think my answer to this question is uh, I don't think I would want to draw any of this in a comic, although I do like watching it. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say, I think mine's probably the opposite from your. I would love to draw the the last, the fight in the uh, right. Lewis Carroll exhibit. Because, I mean, there's so much fun stuff to draw in there. It's not just, uh, yeah. you know, placing placing Batman in a F- Lewis Carroll environment with giant cards and a, you know, a hedge maze or whatever right. he's going through, fight, fighting those different suits and stuff, those different characters. I think that would be pretty fun. Right. Well, you're right. And I think that that's how a lot of artists are like they they want to play around with shapes and space and scale but it also depends on how much energy you have and whether you give oh, shit, totally. about, shit about the story so i've had writers who threw kooky stuff at me just because they realized that, you know like oh sean likes I, i've got you know an asset in sean and i'm just gonna throw a bunch of stuff at him just because i can wow people with this comic by all these yeah. crazy visuals and that's all well and good but I have to actually sit down and draw it. And after a while, like I feel a little abused by these writers throwing these crazy things. Like, oh yeah, just draw a thousand monsters. That's fun, right? You like that? It's like a thousand monsters. Make them all different. Like, who doesn't want to draw that? And that's I had a hood a wall where I want to go. Fuck you. Just draw a guy in an office counting, doing his papers, please. Like, I don't Preferably standing think... in one point perspective. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to draw a fucking dragon or magic or just all this shit. Yeah, I think I think a lot of that <laughs> stuff comes down to time too. Like if you're if you're on a deadline, and you get to like a two two pages where you have to draw <laughs> yeah. every character under the sun, yeah. then it's not then it's not as fun. Then you're like, you know what? What if all of these guys are just standing under a shady tree? Right. Yeah. Now that's funny. A lot of and I think we did bring this up in the previous episode. Uh, artists have a list of things they won't draw, which mm-hmm. I think is genius because I never thought to do it, and only now am I starting to sort of throw my weight around or I'll, I'll call Scott and say, Hey man, I want to draw this whole thing, but this is going to take two months. Can you ease up on some scenes? And like, can you just like blow your load on the last scene? And you know, <laughs> I'll focus on that one, but I need you to tone down some of this other stuff. Cause you're, you're, you're driving me crazy with this, you know? 
and uh, yeah. he'll he'll do it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think a lot of uh, something that um, <clears throat> I think I would like to think that writers do think about this, but they might not. And I, I know a lot of people probably don't think about it is any time that you have to do that, you have to design and create a new thing. You know, there's like if, if you're watching a cartoon, right, there's a reason that most cartoons reuse the same backgrounds, mm-hmm. because when the Simpsons go to New York, you have to the episode takes twice as long to do because you have to create what yeah. the Simpsons version of New York looks like, you know, right. for every every scene is a new background, every scene is new characters and it just it right. takes a lot of time. Yeah. And it's I mean funny. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say with you know drawing, you know, a page a day or trying to get some stuff out on a schedule, it's interesting you can see where artists focuses are, mm-hmm. what they care about most. Like what do they want to spend their calories on? If they have eight hours of, of, of effort, what are they going to lock in on? And for mm-hmm. some guys, like Adam Hughes, like he locks, he does women, facial expression and hair, all that stuff really well. Um, other guys are better with action scenes or um, character designs. Like they just, they focus all their time on every rivet of every costume of every, you know, jacket or whatever. And I think that's awesome, but you really can't spin all those plates equally at the same time. Um, like for, for example, one thing I noticed about myself is I don't like costume designs. I tend to just design stuff very basic because my line work hmm. is, is so crazy that yeah. you know, the detail of a jacket will come in. If a, a plain leather jacket, the way I draw it, is going to look very busy already. Yeah, um, yeah. That's interesting but, because your designs are pretty good. I mean, <laughs> and I, oh, but thanks. now that I'm now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, they are fairly fairly simple. Yeah, and I just don't like keeping track of buttons and costumes and. Oh yeah, uh, I hate I, that shit. I do a lot of high collars on my character for some reason. Like I'm trying not to do it now, but you hate I, drawing I, necks. Yeah, well, it's also yeah. I like hiding <laughs> characters too, and necks are things Sean won't draw. Buttons I, <laughs> and necks. <laughs> if I see a neck, I just want to choke it. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I find that I, I really focus more on background and trying to design a building or a walkway or a train. That's kind of where my calories get burned up. And by the time it's time when I need to draw a girl or draw her hair, I'm like, fuck, like, I just don't have it in me to draw her perfect curls the way that Adam Hughes would. But that's what's so cool about his art is he, he loves that stuff, you know? Yeah. I, I find I tend to, I don't know if it's just because I'm, I don't feel as confident doing background stuff as as some people do i mean you know your backgrounds are consistently amazing and and Thanks. i end up focusing on um more of interesting uh uh compositional layouts for for the people involved in the scene right um but i and i i feel like i get worn out mm-hmm. doing that sometimes because i i do have to push myself and i do end up doing backgrounds that I probably wouldn't be normally apt to do unless I'm, you know, taking a step out of my comfort zone, which, you know, you should do. Yeah. Um, yeah, for but, sure. But yeah, sometimes you just get burned out on, on doing even the stuff that you like. You know, yeah. I was, I was telling you recently that I was just, I was, I was starting up this, this new book and I just, the first couple pages were just, you was like pulling teeth and I just yeah. couldn't figure out why. Yeah. Yeah. That's brutal, man. And uh, I just moved into this new house and we've been I have contractors and people interrupting me all fucking day. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I oh, man, I haven't had a good, clean, straight 10 hour day for a few months now. And I'm doing pages that take a lot of concentration. And, you know, especially when you draw really loose, mm-hmm. like you need to focus because your inks need to be there. Right. Your, pen, your pencils are half assed, at least mine are. 
So like I totally get like I, I have like a list of things that will knock me off my rails that I just try to be aware of and um, yeah I was curious about yours or what what was kind of setting you back. Lately. You know I don't I don't know I I feel like I I had just it was extra frustrating because I had just finished a book I had finished the fifth issue of of the book I was working on so that I was done with that story right and I was moving on to the next project and it was just. I don't know. It was extra frustrating because I had, you know, I had finished the book. It was all done. And I felt like the pages I had done for that book were, were some of my best work. Like mm -hmm. I felt really good about them. And then moving into this next thing, which arguably should be yeah. much more in my wheelhouse because it's more um, it's moving from sci fi to more ground level um, natural stuff. So lots of uh, mm -hmm. instead of taking place on bright Mars, it takes place on like, you know, uh, dark alleys and stuff. Right. Well, that could, that could be a thing that throws you off, would throw me off too, is if you're used to doing a clean set and you're really, you, the, the lines that are in your head for months are these kinds of lines with these yeah. kinds of colors. And then suddenly you've got to do a scene in a dark alley. It's like, wait, how do I spot blacks? And you have to sort of relearn this stuff that you put to the side. And that can be a clusterfuck. Yeah, I, I think that's part of what it was because I, I, I had done the first page a couple months ago, because um, I had a couple, a little, a little time to kill between books, um, and I felt really good about that one because it was like a splash page, and it was in this alleyway, and it was kind of like a nice shot of this main character, and and I, you know, I thought I it came out really great, and when I moved on to these new pages, I kept looking at this other page, going like, what the fuck? <laughs> why, why did it work here? But I, I mean, yeah. I'm, why is it not working now? Right. And I think that's part of it. Is it's just a a different set of um, it's a different file in your brain. Yeah, like a yeah. file cabinet, you know. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's starting to come back. I'm I'm two or three pages in now, and I'm feeling a little bit better yeah. about it. But it was uh, yeah, yeah, it was man, it was depressing. Like it yeah. was that's too. And then the emotion sets in, and then you feel like you know you you've got three pages you forced yourself to do, and you're not loving them. And now you're trying to do page four, and you're like, oh god, what about these other three? Can I just redo those? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. <laughs> it, uh, not to get like uh, too introspective and shit, but uh, like there's a point where where I'm doing this page, and I I literally was thinking to myself, why am I doing this? I why don't I just quit? I, I I'm not good at this anymore. I should just, you know, I I, I clearly yeah. I clearly hit the I clearly hit the top of my game with the last issue of the last book. Yeah. Why don't I just pack it in? Yeah. And then I when I finally finished that page, I went. Yeah, this, is, this is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, looking at your texts, because I'll, you guys go back, it's like sometimes I'll check my phone and it's like 60. So I'll try to catch up on what's been going on through the day. And I'll, I start to catch yours because you're, you're in red for some reason. So you're easy to spot. And I see your day deteriorating text by text. <laughs> and I'm like, man, should I call him? Is he on a ledge somewhere? <laughs> yeah, it was just one of those things where it's like, you know, uh, you're, you're making certain choices. Yeah. And at the time, it feels like they're not working. Yeah. And so it makes you feel bad. It's like, well, fuck, I'm going to have to go redo this whole page or right. this whole panel. But then you get to the end of it and you're like, well, you know, this yeah. isn't as bad as I thought it was. And sun's yeah. going to come up tomorrow and it's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's funny. Like the list of things that set me off is like if I have to work in a new location, uh, interruptions suck. Um, you know, doctor's appointments, family drama, day-to-day -day life sucks. Yep. Um, sometimes learning about a new artist and really loving a new artist and looking at their art, it's like stuffing new papers into my file cabinet and right. like, I don't know where to put it and right. it leads to me making bad decisions until I can filter those papers in the correct place and you know, 
So sometimes I'm bad because I'm learning. Sometimes I'm bad because I don't care and I'm not paying attention or just flat out depression, sadness, and not... (laughs) I don't read a lot of comics, so I feel like an outsider sometimes. It Mm -hmm. can be anything, you know, not to get too frou-frou about it, but it's funny. The thing that I do know, uh, and I'll shut up for a second, is that it takes me three days to get back into it, and every day gets substantially better, like measurably better. So if I can just force it for three days by Wednesday... I'm good. So yeah. I know that enough about myself to know how to push through at this point, but it can be really upsetting. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I, I get um, between books, I usually hit a, hit a bit of a down spiral just generally because it's like you're coming down off of this. It's it's like <clears throat> it's like you're it's it's kind of a roller coaster because, you know, you spend your whole time on this other book, you get to the top and then, you know, you're, you you go down. And then once you get to the bottom of the hill, you got to go back up again. And you got to start right. over. It's like, well, shit. And I got to do lay- like layouts drive me nuts because it's that's where the work is, you know. Uh, so, yeah. so you actually have to put in the time, and it's it's difficult. And so I'm doing layouts for this other thing, uh, trying to take my mind off of the shitty pages I think I'm drawing. But then the layouts aren't coming because I'm trying to do the layouts while I'm at the the mechanic getting my car fixed, and I can't I can't focus on the stuff. And it was just like. Yeah. It was it all. It was a perfect storm of like little things to make you feel bad about the work that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. I'm fine now, though. I'm glad. <laughs> glad. <laughs> yeah, you know, the the for me, like the best that you want the best art out of me. What I need is peace and quiet, no distractions from nine to five. I need to be able to hit the gym in the middle of the day. Like if I don't get to work out, I feel like I'm losing control over my body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I need to have a script I enjoy with characters I understand with an ending that I appreciate and like I need to know what each character is thinking I need to have the entire thing Um, I need to be familiar with the set with the costumes you know if you throw new stuff at me and it delays me then I get frustrated right Um, and I can't have any technical difficulties with the internet that day or uh, you know no Twitter drama and that's usually when I get my best work and I find that when I write my own stuff I can control most of that. Right. Because my worst, most frustrating instances in my career was when I was on a book where I hated the script. I thought it was a waste of my time, waste of talent. I'm like, how is this guy a writer? And why do I have to draw it? And that that's really tough carrying that baggage personally. And that book was punk rock Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, I think it was my frustration with bad scripts that made me think you know i don't think i can i'm not Hemingway, but if this guy can pump out this shit i can certainly do better than that so you know well yeah it's it's a control thing too i mean you know you've got um as as an artist i think this is a general you i'm saying now right as an artist you have storytelling ability that is going to be best served honestly if Mm -hmm. it's coming from you right you know because if you're writing a script i Assuming, assuming that you know how to write a right. fairly decent story, yeah. theoretically, that should visually be better than the stuff right. that you would do interpreting somebody else's because, you know, the, right. the writer and the artist are very much on the same page. Yeah. Um, yeah, that connection. Because there's usually a, a downgrade when you pass a script off to an artist. There's always going to be disconnect where you can do the best you can, but you're inevitably going to miss certain things. So what is an A script can only be, you know, a B script unless you can fix it in your own way. Like, I just feel like there's a natural downgrade of some kind. Whereas if you are the artist, there's zero disconnect. There's zero downgrade. Now it's just about how good you are on your own. 
you know? Right. I was, uh, I, I recently got back into writing, um, and I was writing a, writing a script for, uh, that with the intention to have somebody else draw it. Mm-hmm. And I found it was a different process, uh, because when you're writing for yourself, there's a certain amount of shorthand that you can mm-hmm. use. Right. Um, cause you've got shots and stuff in your head. So if you can be more sparse if you, uh, than you usually think you would be. Right. Um, but writing for somebody else, it was interesting because like I, you know, being an artist, I didn't want to push mm-hmm. pa- panel layouts or visuals on the artist too much. But right. at the same time, I didn't want to give them too little. So it's, it's interesting finding a balance writing for somebody else who's going to be interpreting this um, to get across what you want and, and but still give them the artistic freedom to do with it what they want. Right. Yeah. The thing that I never scared me about writing for other people, and my biggest experience is writing for you guys when we did mm-hmm. the apprenticeship. So I wrote Cafe Racer. Is like I knew you guys were all capable artists and, and good storytellers, and I also know that you can be as precious as you want about certain things in a script, and writers get really uptight about making sure all their genius ideas make it in there. But at the end of the day, you can get rid of half of them or misinterpret half of them. And most readers aren't even going to know. Like, it it doesn't fucking matter. Like, the things that upset most writers day to day are things that generally don't matter. As long as the outline is there, the the dialogue will come. The art's good and there's, you know, splashy things happening here and there. People are going to come away happy because comics readers are rooting for you because they don't want to believe that they're reading an antiquated art form that's quickly dating itself like they're in your <laughs> corner you know you give them a b-level book they think it's an a-level book you know so that's the kind of thing that makes me sort of not sweat that stuff to be honest is because i've taken bad scripts and made them much better and i just assume that the writers or artists i work with will be able to do that with mine as well you know yeah yeah i think that's the thing as long as you as long as you have confidence in the artist you know there's you're you're gonna you're gonna end up with a good product most of the time yeah yeah, and honestly, like, if it's a bad script, can be fixed by good art, no problem. A great script can be destroyed by bad art, and I, I do think at the end of the day, it's a visual medium. Um, I probably have more, you and I probably both have more respect for the scripting process than most artists do, because mm-hmm. we're kind of do-it-yourselfers by by nature, and we like writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, it's funny. A lot of artists will wax on about doing their own projects, but very rarely do any of them ever really you know, ante up and do it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's a different, you got to use a different part of your brain and, uh, you know, putting a lot of yourself out there and it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, not to pat our own backs too much here, but it's not easy (laughs) and we're, we're heroes for trying it. Yeah. But what's nice is when you have the writer credit, when other writers talk about how hard it is, you can, you can, well, I will choose to be like, no, Writing is, is, sure, writing is difficult every now and then, but drawing is way fucking harder. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, when you can do, when you can write five books a month, but you can only draw one book a month. Yeah. Hour per hour, technically speaking, writing is way easier. It's one-fifth of the, the, the task of art, you know, by, by my math anyway. So I, I don't have a whole lot of, a whole lot of uh, sympathy for writers sometimes. I, I look really... forward to all the angry emails <laughs> we get from the writers out there. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Anyway, speaking of writing, not really. Uh, what would you rate? What would you rate this episode? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go a, a three, but I would say a high three. Mm-hmm. How about you? I'd go four with this one. I like this one a lot. Um, yeah. You know, I think it's a it's it's fairly 
similar to to the way that they've handled these these villain intros uh, previously, and uh, but it's a good formula, like it works, um, and you know Paul Dini knows how to throw in a little bit of re- enough relatable sympathy mm-hmm. to make uh, the villain that much more believable. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just I think it's pretty good. I, I enjoyed this one. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny. Oh, I, after I work with Scott, I'm, I'm going to retire from working with writers. But if there is someone that I would come out of uh, retirement, writing retirement for, it might be Paul Dini. But I would only want to do like a one shot type of thing because I think he's really amazing at like a self-contained 44 page book like Mad Love, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, I'm sure you could do like a uh, Batman black and white yeah. or something like that. If if you want to do, do well, something would be short, like I would hope he would take it seriously and give me something as good as Heart of Ice. But if he just if he turn if he just turned into some <laughs> drivel, and I haven't read all his stuff, so maybe he never has. But I would be disappointed if he just sort of phoned it in, and I'd call him up and be like, "I came out of retirement for you, for you." <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be like, "Hey man, I work with a lot hey, man, of artists. Don't all right? make me Bill Finger you." <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's going to that's gonna wrap it up for Matt as a Hatter. Um, and we're going to take a quick break and come back with Dreams in Darkness. All right, welcome back. Uh, we are covering now Dreams in Darkness, which is the final episode of the quote-unquote season. And by season, that's the Amazon mm-hmm. Prime listing season uh the actual season is like 70 episodes because uh, yep. tv is silly um this is dreams in darkness written by judith and garfield reeves stevens and directed by dick seabast mm. and in it batman is incarcerated in arkham asylum after being exposed to scarecrow's fear-inducing gas batman knows that the scarecrow has escaped for the second time and is planning to poison gotham's water supply with the same fear-inducing gas now I'm going to go out on a limb and say you didn't like this episode. You know, I, it's really well animated. Um, and I, there's a lot of great visuals, but I think taken together, it feels like a, generally a repeat of the first Scarecrow. But yeah. Batman's subplot, like in the first one, he, had, he was getting over something. He had mm-hmm. a lot of doubts, and you could see the, you know, the toxins were really bringing it out of him. In this one... I'm not sure what he's thinking. He's freaking out. He's seeing snakes, and then there's monsters. It's just, it's just like a, a gymnasium for the animators, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, um, I, when this one started, I was really looking forward to it because I, uh, I think it has a great hook. Yeah. Um, opening oh, yeah. your episode with uh, Batman in Arkham Asylum and seemingly, right. you know, whatever. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> uh, that's a really good way to start. Really interesting. They haven't done that yet. I thought for sure the turn was going to be that the uh, the Scarecrow was actually the doctor mm. who was treating him because there's a certain point where I think it's when Batman ends up in there the first time um, where they think he's crazy, and that's fine because he's talking gibberish. Mm-hmm. But then at a certain point, he's like, no, the Scarecrow, there's a, uh, the Scarecrow is out there, and he's going to plant a bomb or something. Right. And then the doctor comes back, and he says yeah, you're right, the Scarecrow isn't here. And then he just doesn't trust Batman. Yeah, who's brought in dozens of villains over the years. Yeah, like, there's no reason for him to not 
trust Batman. He's fucking Batman. It's also- not like it's not like he it's not just a guy who's like there's a bomb on the bus or something. You know, yeah. he's he's Batman. Yeah. Once once he once he proves that he's more or less talking, yeah. you know, sane. Yeah, thanks, feel- Arkham Asylum. Like, <laughs> yeah. my track record does nothing for me. And I crashed my car outside Arkham, so you lock me up. Like, no police, no police report, no court. Just put him in there and leave his mask on. Yeah, I, so I thought what it was going to be is that the doc, uh, you know, until they got to that point, I thought it was going to be, oh, Scarecrow is acting as the doctor, yeah. and this is going to be one of those, oh, well, Batman, what if what if you're really crazy, and what if all of this stuff is in your head? I thought it was going to be one of those things, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm, I'm a sucker for those episodes. Those are always fun, yeah. um, but they didn't do that, and this just turned into, like, literally a rehash of the other Scarecrow episodes. Um, yeah. Even to the point when when uh, when he gets gassed for the first time, mm-hmm. and he starts seeing the visions of his parents, and then like the bloody gun and stuff, I was like, "This is exactly the same stuff they did last time." Well, I, I, so I will say that one scene where his parent, where Batman is slow running towards them, and his parents walk into a gun barrel, and then it fucking goes off and shoots. Like that is one of the best images of the entire series, I think. Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah I mean, like with too the bad blood it's in this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's the blood coming down, but it's like you know. <laughs> Batman needs to get a new new things to be afraid of because every time he gets sprayed with the fear toxin, he just has <laughs> hallucinates his parents, and it gets kind of boring. Right, right. Um, I thought uh, the second the second sequence was better, uh, where it was just more of like a like you said a, a gymnasium for the animators. That that was fun. It was still ultimately there was not really not really a lot behind anything that was happening here. Yeah, um, but it was fun. Yeah, it's funny when the uh, scarecrow got hit with his own toxins. I was hoping they would show what he's most afraid of, and they didn't. They had a real yeah. missed opportunity, and they zoom in on Batman, and you, I would lo- even if they had Scarecrow just screaming, and you don't even get to see what he's seeing, but it, that scream, they didn't have anything. It was just Batman with this red mist around him, kind of, well, that's a d- job well done. Yeah, yeah. This actually, uh, I don't know if this, if you noticed this, but it's actually very similar to the Scarecrow plot of Batman Begins. Um, where Scarecrow's trying to poison the water system underneath yeah. Arkham Asylum, and then he ends up getting <laughs> gassed by his own gas, and you know, yeah. it was very, very, very similar. And That's it was true. actually the episode itself was loosely based on a book called Batman: The Last Arkham, um, which was published in Batman: Shadow of the Bat, mm-hmm. uh, written by Alan Grant, written uh, drawn by Norm Brayfogle. Mm. Um, and it's a little bit different. Uh, I haven't read it, but you know, it's 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 a little bit more fleshed out, as you can as you can assume. Right. Uh, not not right. not as streamlined. And I think, judging by the the story, it sounds like it works better. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say with the bit about um, Arkham being sitting on top of some kind of a spring that feeds Gotham. There's there's a good. There's something really interesting in that. I mean, if you yeah. had done a whole series of like the reason that Gotham is cursed, quote unquote, is actually this like biological reason of where it's situated. Like it's not Indian burial ground, but um, Hatter's got something there that won't go away, and it's constantly fucking with Arkham, you know, the brain of Arkham. Like that. There's this. There's probably like a, you know, six issue series there. Um, and a good reason to use the Hatter, you know, and have him, like you said, yeah. he's, he's the doctor and no one knows it for a while. Because as soon as they enter, like, they, they, they see what he wants them to see. And that's amazing. You mean Scarecrow? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah but again, uh, ball dropped. Ball completely dropped. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about the voiceover? Because Batman has an extensive voiceover in this episode. That's uh, yeah. sort of like a flashback thing. And yeah. It's, it's very I don't pulpy. think they've done it. It's very sleuthy. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I, I don't like it at all. And I actually, in comics in general, I don't like voiceovers. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that stuff? Um, yeah, I think I don't like it too much here. Uh, I think they work, but in, like in just in general movies and stuff, I think they're, they work, but not all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, in comics, you know, the first person narrative voiceover has become very uh, overused right. as far as I'm concerned. It's, you know, people, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Frank Miller used it a lot for Batman and Daredevil, and that's, it, people just sort of did that for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I actually was was uh, um, thinking about this when I was, I was writing something the other day. It's, I feel like it's a, it's a bit of a cheat. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it, allows you to be more it allows the the writer to do more gymnastics Mm -hmm. and uh you don't have to be as good of a visual storyteller i don't think or i totally i don't know if i should say that but no i'll 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 actually run with that a little further okay i I don't mind getting in trouble (laughs) um but yeah i i so the every book i've written on writing because when i started writing i did a ton of research and i mostly grabbed screenplay Books. So you're dealing with a 90-minute movie, you know, cut, 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 cut as much as you can and cut some more. Um, and in general, a voiceover is a giant no-no because it's lazy. You know, if every script is essentially a mystery, then um, being inside the character's head takes away a lot of the fun. Right. Um, and there are instances where it works. And of course, any, you know, screenwriting professor would tell you that. And they'll point to, you know, Shawshank Redemption or Forrest Gump or... Did uh, Chinatown have it? I forget. Uh, I don't think so. No. I guess the sleuthiness of it made me think it did, but yeah, you're yeah. right. But there are times to do it. And if you do it, do it with authority and do it with good reason. But in comics, it's just used. It's just, oh, well, this is just the thing we do. It's as common as feathering. And I, right. I think it's fucking lazy. I don't think it's necessary. I think it hurts the books in general. Uh, and I think it's also has to do with the writers not feeling like they're getting to to be writery enough. You know, like yeah. a lot of their genius wordage is wrapped up in panel descriptions, which the the reader never gets to experience. But if you have like these long paragraphs where the writer gets to do, you know, fucking cartwheels and somersaults in front of you, I think it's mostly ego driven is they want to see their, their words make it on the page. And it's just not fulfilling enough. Uh, whereas if they were novelists and stuff, they would get to do that stuff, you know, to the cows come home. But in comics, I just think it's self-indulgent and it's mostly unnecessary and I, I've i never used them. I'll, I'll do it if I have a flashback and a character's talking or if a character's like reading a letter or if like news people, news anchors are talking about something while you're... Like I'll, I'll do it here and there, but in general, like I fucking hate it and I do out of my way to not need it. And I, I think with how detailed I draw, like I end up slowing the readers down with art rather than slowing them down with words. Yeah, I think that's another thing too. I... I... Uh, you said um, um, the the writer. It, you think some of it might be writers feeling like they're they're. Uh, well, how did you say it? They're not. Um, yeah, they they want they want to showcase their craft and they don't get to. Yeah, I think I think it also. Uh, I think there's a certain aspect that might be that some people think that the the readers of the comics might feel like they're being cheated if they don't have as many words to read. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Right, because uh, you know, if you don't have any caption boxes or anything, you can breeze through a comic pretty quick. True. Um, <clears throat> if, uh, and if the art is if the art is quick, 
yeah. uh, or in, undetailed, and it's like four-panel pages, then yeah, that's going to be a 10-minute read. But hire a good artist, put in enough to look at to stop the, the reader. You don't need a ton of word balloons if you do right, it right. Right, definitely. Yeah. yeah. No, and I, I agree. I, I generally think it's 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 a pretty big crutch for the most for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's so I un, think, it's so unquestioned. It it, it drives yeah. me crazy because especially because comic artists or writers have these fantasies of you know these Hollywood red carpet fantasies where their brilliant IP is going to make it on the big screen. And if you love, fucking love screenplay so much, why do you use voiceover? You know, like right, you don't. Right. This comic doesn't read like you understand film at all. You know. Yeah, I've. I'll be honest with you. I've picked up books that have been fairly well reviewed, um, and the first five pages have turned me off specifically because of the voiceover. Yeah. Um, and it's you know, there's just a. <clears throat> I feel like they're all pretty much the same too. There's right. there's not a lot of variation to the way that they're written. It seems. Right. Um, it yeah. seems like they're either you know, uber dark, like it's, you know, being flowery writing about Gotham City and how black it is, mm -hmm. or uh, it's kind of like whimsical and tongue in cheek a little bit. And there's, that seems to be it. Right. Well, so with Forrest Gump, it works because Forrest's voice is disabled. And what he describes is a very simple way of looking at a very complex situation. Right. So, you know, Vietnam is horrible, but hearing him talk about the rain in Vietnam, well, there's a really nice juxtaposition there. So there is a voiceover you can keep, of course. You know, and even some of Frank Miller's stuff, like Sin City, you know, the heart of nails, super hard as nails type of voiceover kind of fits the, fits the book. And there's a similar argument to be made for his Batman stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I've seen it work. But, yeah, generally the voice of the narrator or voiceover isn't special enough to justify. It's not showing you anything different than what the art is already showing you, you know. Right. Most of it ends up feeling like the Blade Runner voiceover. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. It is It is strangely unquestioned. Um, yeah. And, and that's, it is, yeah. And I, 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 you know, I, I shy away from bringing it up on Twitter because you really can't get into it with 140 characters. But that's why I like talking about it here. But yeah, it, it just drives me crazy how accepted it is. And it's like, well, we it's a voiceover it's a comic we do voiceovers like right. you're just like how dare you even go there by asking the question you know i don't even like having like a five years ago or gotham city 621 right. people i don't even like that shit like i'll i like to challenge myself like if if it's a certain era show a zoom in on a newspaper to show a date or a clock or a time or a certain kind of right, car right. anything like be fucking creative like it's just as lazy as hell or just put type on the page but I admit, I do that in page four of my Batman. <laughs> like, it starts Sean off... Sean Murphy, and it's like, not what? an asshole, but a hypocrite. <laughs> I know. Well, I've never done it before. and I, My editor in Punk Rock Jesus made me do it uh, once, and I, I fought her really hard, but she, she wanted like a 35 years later type thing, and I thought mm -hmm. the reader was smart enough to figure out it is eventually... It is 35 years later. Like, you don't need to have that there. That's just stupid. Um, yeah, those, those things I don't mind as much like some location changes especially if they're locations that aren't easily identifiable right. um it's always nice to just have you know a check-in that to tell you what's going on mm -hmm. but yeah even just general captions narrative captions i'm not a huge fan because right. uh, yeah it's, you fall into the same trap it's just yeah ov overwriting in ways that you don't need to do it right i think like for guardians of the galaxy it makes sense because it's kind of a there's a cheesy element to it so why not 
um, throw it in there. I've seen Scorsese do it ironically. Um, mm-hmm. Like a character's like, back in Brooklyn years ago, and the caption says exactly that thing. And that, that's <laughs> yes. kind of his style, so that, that gets a pass, even though it, I don't know, it's a little hipster. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I've seen it done well, but it, it, people don't even question it, and that, that's what drives me nuts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, getting back to the episode. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, what are no, we doing? no, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I do really love, it uh, complete inverse of the um, voiceover is the Batmobile crash is so well animated. It's got that like you can tell when they bring in the good animation house hmm. because it has it feels a lot more like uh, it feels a little bit more Akira or something like that or a little bit more anime than um, yeah. than yeah. usual. It, it, it looks more like the opening sequence to all the 80s cartoons, which is always way better than the actual cartoon. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that for sure. And uh, yeah, that sequence sequence with the Batmobile crashes and goes off the guardrail is great. And the uh, um, the snakes really stood out when he grabs yeah. the, the snake pipe. The uh, animation of um, him hallucinating everybody, like morphing into everybody else. And mm-hmm. uh, when that one head splits open to show Two-Face is great. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so they they really they really got their money's worth out of their animators. Oh, there's a they refer to the Joker as Jack Napier, which I was surprised to hear. Yeah, you know that's why I I use Jack Napier in my book. I just assumed that was his name, um, but everyone with DC was like, "Are you allowed to do that?" And I thought, "Why isn't that his name?" Like, my knowledge of Batman comes from this cartoon, so yeah, I assumed yeah. that that was the deal. But apparently, we don't know who he is. There's like three different Jokers now. Is that a thing? Oh, that's weird. Um, yeah, like as far as I know, I, I read that they were planning on, you know, having a uh, in-canon origin for the Joker, but I hope they don't because that takes away a lot of what's great about him. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know what else there's much. To, I feel like this is the third try at Scarecrow and they still haven't really found it yet. Yeah. Um, starts off really good, <laughs> but then it just turns into a normal Scarecrow episode. Yeah. It's funny, the, the, the bones of the intro episode were good. The animation was weak. The character design was weak. And there was some goofiness to it that hurt it. Like, I think if you blended these two episodes together, you would have a really good origin story for him. Yeah, yeah. And if you mix in the third costume, especially. Yeah, so it's, well, let's, we can just forget about the, the giant condom head costume altogether, because that costume is terrible. <laughs> yeah, he got bill-fingered. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you have a sequence in this that you'd want to draw? Um, uh, yeah, you know that gun sequence with his family. I think you yeah. could do a really good sequential, like two-page spread of that. That'd be fun to do. How about you? I don't know, actually. Um, nothing really stood out to me in this yeah. one. Uh, I hate to to end our season on a on a blah note, but um, what about uh, Batman incarcerated in Gotham? I was I was actually just gonna say that. You yeah, would do that, that. You do shadows and stuff really well. You could. Yeah, that. Oh, thank you. Uh, that would be that would probably be where I would go to is is Batman in a straight jacket freaking out in a in a jail cell would be pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah sure. You want to rate this one? Uh ooh, yeah. I'm gonna go. I was going to say a high two. The animation's great. It might pull it into a three, but I'm between a two and a three. Yeah. I'm going to go three um, because I think it's I think it's pretty good. Uh, you know, if you're not watching them back to back to back to back and you haven't already come across two lackluster Scarecrow episodes, this one's pretty good. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I think it has potential. It had potential to be really great, but then it just ended up being kind of like a normal episode. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, with that, that brings us to the end of our season. Yeah. Um, and uh, like I said at the top. If you're listening to this, that means that all of the podcasts have been edited and released, and uh, we're going to take a break before we come back with another episode where we're going to cover Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which I'm very excited about because I haven't watched that movie, I think, since it came out on VHS. Oh, man. I saw that shit in the theater alone. <laughs> awesome. No regrets. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so if uh, between between now and then, if you have any feedback or comments you'd like to, to send out to us, and we'd love to hear it because we don't get any because we're releasing these all in one big chunk. We have no idea what you think of us. We have no idea. If you hate it, we want to hear it. If you love it, we want to hear it. If you have questions, uh, we want to hear it. If you have suggestions for a new co-host, that's fine too. <laughs> um, you can send those to uh, batasspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter – you can follow us at BatAssPodcast, B-A-T-T-A-S-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And, yeah, I think that's going to do it for, for our first season. What do you think? Do you want to, depending on how people respond to this, do you want to keep doing this? Yeah, so my, my, my book is, as of today, they're going to release it in the fall. So it got fast-tracked. So a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, like I can probably open up more when we, if we do season two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, after we do, maybe like towards the end of summer, we can start recording again. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that'd be fun. Yeah. There's. Uh, I have some of the other episodes I've I've edited down uh, because you, <laughs> you, yep. you you waxed you waxed on about your book that isn't coming out for another five months, and uh, <laughs> yep. And uh, um, you didn't want to give a lot away, so uh, I. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe uh, I was thinking about releasing after the book comes out, releasing like some unedited versions of the show or something. But maybe we'll just save it. And we can just talk about it all again in season two. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys. I hope you enjoyed this the yeah. first season. And uh, yeah, please get in touch with us. And hopefully, we'll see you for Mask of the Phantasm and Batman se- season two. Sounds good, man. It's been a fun journey. Yeah. Thanks <laughs> a lot. We'll see. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.